The demand for cars and mobility will be massive in Africa in the coming years. Its population is almost as large as China's and will double in the next 20 years. On today's show, industry veteran Edward Hightower identifies six countries in Africa that are ripe for industrialization. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, car companies make cars in just about every continent in the world, except Antarctica. But what about Africa? Could Africa emerge as a major automotive industrial powerhouse? That's the premise of a book that our guest today wrote. Edward Hightower has written this book called Motoring Africa. Very interesting premise. He says, building entrepreneurs, creating jobs, and driving the world's next economic miracle. Edward, thank you for joining us on well, today. Thank you for having me, John. And I can't wait to get into this, but I also have to introduce Chris Pocker, joining me for our journalist panel today. He's with uh, Roadshow by CNET, and it's great to have you here, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Great to be back. Okay, Edward, Africa. I mean, we just don't think of Africa as an industrial powerhouse. What gave you the idea that it could emerge as one? Well, John, the book, Motoring Africa, Sustainable Automotive Industrialization, it's really a roadmap, an actionable roadmap for automakers to be able to participate in the next emerging growth market opportunity, which is the African continent. Um, according to data by the United Nations and McKinsey, uh, the population of the African continent is going to double over the next 30 years. And it's what, about a billion 1. right 2 now? 1.2 billion people today, <clears throat> going to 2.5 bi billion people by the year. Bigger than China or India? Yeah, and the workforce, you know, as important, the workforce will be bigger than China or India. Um, and, you know, that's going to happen between now and 2034. So the workforce will become the largest workforce in the world. And then following that, the largest population in the world, uh, the largest country and the largest economy on the continent, you know, of the 54 countries, Nigeria, about 190 million people today, is projected to be larger than the United States by 2050, close to 400 million people. So uh, the book is not just about how to participate in that growth opportunity by selling products there, but by also building products there and building the supply chain and the supply network and fully industrializing uh, on the continent. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some uh, automakers that already have a presence there, a manufacturing yes. presence there, BMWs yes. in South Africa. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the history, of the, the run-up of the business right now? Yes. Well, BMW's been building uh, products in, in South Africa for some time now. They, it was originally an independent entrepreneur that was uh, assembling a variety of different auto uh, automobile companies' vehicles. Uh, BMW took over that company, I believe is, it was in the 1980s. Uh, and, but in South Africa, you, not, you have not only BMW, but you have, uh, there's six manufacturers. There's Mercedes, there's BMW, there's Toyota, Nissan, Ford, and um, uh, I said BMW, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, there's six companies now. And the General Motors was there. GM, GM, GM is left. Out. Yes, yes. Ford is dead. That's number six was Ford. Ford also builds products uh, on the continent as well, in South Africa as well. So of the 54 countries, there are about only about 1 million vehicles produced. So 1.2 billion people, 1 million vehicles produced on the entire continent. So in addition to South Africa, in North Africa, in Morocco, um, they're starting to grow their industrialization of the auto sector, primarily driven by uh, the Renault, Nissan, uh, well, now in Mitsubishi Group as well, uh, primarily with the Renault brand. So 
In 2012, uh, Renault really started to invest in Morocco as a site for building vehicles. They were at about 200,000 units of production now. Uh, by 2019, they're expected to be at about 400,000 units of production. And the PSA group is also coming on board in Morocco. So um, between South Africa and uh, Morocco, that's close to the million vehicles that are produced on the continent. And then you have a few other, you know, cats and dogs here and there, a few in Egypt, a few in, La in Algeria, uh, a few in Kenya, a few in Nigeria. And uh, I would add, too, that there's a real supply base, supply chain developing in Morocco, too, to supply yes. that automotive production. Yes, they have Morocco more than more than uh, several of the countries in East and West Africa has, has focused on the local localization of the supply chain. Uh, South Africa has done so to a limited extent. If you read the statistics by the Department of Trade and Industry of South Africa, about 27% or so of the supply chain is localized, countrywide, industry-wide. Um, Morocco is has has objectives of getting into the 60% range. South Africa does as well. They have new policy programs to increase localization. And that's the real <clears throat> excuse me, that's the real secret sauce of being able to uh, build in an emerging market profitably is to have that localization of the supply chain. Take us forward another 10, 20 <clears throat> years. How do you see this evolving? Mm -hmm. You know, it it has to be a conscious effort or a conscious decision by the private sector and private sector automakers and, and quite frankly, other manufacturers and other sectors as well can participate in this opportunity. It is a, the, the growth is going to happen, the markets are developing, and those who decide they want to invest early uh, and uh, experience some of the successes that South Africa is, is finding and some of the successes that Morocco is finding, uh, they're the ones who are going to be among the leaders in, in 2034 and 2050. Uh, I think back to the time when I was at, uh, at GM in the 90s, and there were a few people working on, you know, the China project. And now, you know, those who invested early in China, GM and Volkswagen, are not only leading in that market, they're uh, they're you know, lead the leaders of the largest auto market in the world. What is necessary, you know, to work on today's base and really take this supernova? I mean, it's, you've got uh, concerns around um, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You might have some geopolitical concerns. Uh, you might have uh, workforce education concerns. Mm -hmm. what, what are the impediments to, to that right. sort of growth? Well, in the book, I talk, uh, one of the chapters of the book talks about the 10 steps to industrialize automobile production in the emer in, in an emerging market. Um, Many of them are some of the points you mentioned. Public-private partnerships is probably one of the most important. It is going to take strong involvement of the private sector, but it's also going to take involvement of the public sector, meaning the, uh, it has to be, uh, there has to be policy support for it from the head of state level. Also, there needs to be involvement from the ministers of trade and industry, finance, infrastructure, education, uh, in order to have all of the components in place for uh, the, the industry, for industrialization to take root. That's how it happened in China. That's how it happened in India. That's how Mexico has become one of the largest auto, uh, auto exporters uh, in the world, by having the, the input and participation of the private sector along with the public sector.
Do you see that kind of talk happening in Africa? Do you see uh, ministries of trade and governments talking about making this happen? Yes, I think, well, uh, in Motoring Africa, we, we focus on six specific countries. We say six of the 54 countries are the ideal spots for automotive industrialization. And they are because they have many of the 10 attributes that we mentioned in the chapter of the 10 steps, uh, or they are on their way there. Uh, many of the local governments are speaking about how important industrialization is, how many um, people are employed by value-added manufacturing, how opportunities for entrepreneurs are created uh, by, by value-added manufacturing compared to services or tourism or, quite frankly, even technology. Uh, there's just a multiplier effect with, with manufacturing. So many of the countries are speaking that language. Um, there are only a handful of automakers that are really making strong investments uh, in that direction, and there's a lot of opportunity for others to do that. Okay, uh, we know two of those countries, right? <clears throat> South Africa and Morocco. Who yes. are the other four? Uh, the others are Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. And uh, some of those attributes that I, I mentioned in terms of 10 steps um, <clears throat> One important driver is having proximity to a strong and sizable regional market. So you don't just look at the population of the country, you look at the population of the region. And you look at whether there's an existence of strong regional trading agreements. Uh, so each of those six countries will fully cover uh, all four quadrants, north, south, west, and east, east Africa, if you will. All of them are participants in regional trade agreements or regional trading blocks, and uh, all of them uh, have expressed interest in becoming connected or better connected with blocks, trading blocks outside of the continent. One, for example, one, one reason why Morocco is so, has been so successful is they have very strong trade agreements with the EU. And uh, right from the city of Tangiers, uh, they're able to you know, access the, Europe, the entire European market with products produced in Morocco. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there uh, particular types of vehicles that you think the, the market is most mm -hmm. uh, well-suited to? Well, I think the most important thing, and I, I spell that out in, motor, in Motoring Africa, is really to focus on the customer. You want to build a, the, the product that the customer really wants. And, you know, it's not adopting a strategy of let's take two generations old of a platform with tooling that's partially or almost fully worn out that we could somehow cobble together and then just ship it there and start building products. That's not the real recipe for winning. That's the old way that's the industry the did it. Building. And that doesn't work in today's wired world where everybody knows what's the latest. Exactly. Consumers travel, uh, you know, consumers in emerging markets, they want connectivity with their smartphones as well. Uh, many of them never had to bother with landlines, so smartphones phones and cell phones and smartphones are all that they know. Uh, one example I talk about, and I give several examples in the book, <clears throat> Maruti Suzuki in India, they really focused on the customer at the outset in determining what's the right product to bring to that customer and what are the right attributes in order to succeed. So Maruti Suzuki very early in their history said, let's focus on quality. Quality, quality, quality. Uh, and they focused on A and big, B, A segment and B segments. So advanced, very small cars. Very small cars uh, as well. And, and they um, worked very strongly with their supply base to make sure those quality attributes were in place as they localized their supply chain. 
The results speak for themselves. They have over 50% market share in the fast-growing India market. And Maruti Suzuki is one of the 10 most valuable auto companies in the world on a market capitalization rate. So to, to really answer your correction, question directly, um, it's understanding the market. In each of those six countries, the expectations of the customers will be different. You know, Africa is not a monolith. You're talking 54 countries. And um, <clears throat> we, we think that uh, the B-segment uh, crossover, uh, it would likely be a very attractive product because that is a, a very hot segment in all emerging markets around the world. Crossovers are hot in every segment at every price point. Uh, and that plus uh, looking at uh, electrification in the future, because if we're looking at the long-term strategy, industrialization on the continent is going to be a long-term strategy. So if you're going to industrialize for the long term, uh, let's look at where the direction of propulsion systems and powertrains are, are going in the future. You mentioned the success will go to those who invest early and heavily, like you mentioned General Motors and Volkswagen in China. Mm -hmm. Who do you think are the, the early players that will be there for the long run? Well, I mentioned um, well, BMW in South Africa uh, has been there for the long run. They've recently made a significant investment to uh, change from building their 3 Series there to the X3 crossover. And, and I Africa. just want to interject, a lot yes. of people don't know this. There were South African BMWs exported to the U.S., yes, those yes, 3 Series. Yes. Most of the 3 Series uh, for the last few years sold in the United States, 3 Series sedans were actually built in, in South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, you, could, you could tell from the VIN code. Yeah. Um, but they've changed over to build the new GO1 platform of the X3. Um, so I expect they'll continue to invest in the continent. Uh, Renault-Nissan in Morocco, they have invested to expand their operations uh, in Morocco. And they are also looking at uh, working with a group in Nigeria to perhaps expand in Nigeria. So Renault, Renault and Nissan uh, and Mitsubishi Group, they, they have a track record of investing in emerging markets um, in India and in Brazil. Even Pakistan. Uh, in, in, in Pakistan. And uh, if you look at what they've done in Morocco and what they're, they're uh, considering for Nigeria, I could see at least those two automakers being strong participants. Others would, in, I would say, the Hyundai and Kia group, possibly. How about the Chinese? Maybe the Chinese. Uh, are by, are uh, not the Chinese exporting a lot of cars to Ch uh, Africa now? The, yes. The, uh, several Chinese automakers are exporting some, car, some vehicles there. Uh, you know, Great Wall in, in, uh, in particular is one. Um, uh, bike, uh, Beijing Auto Industrial Corporation, is, is recently started a CKD operation uh, in uh, Port Elizabeth, South, South Africa. Just for those who don't know, CKD is where you yes. put all the parts exactly. in a crate, ship it there, and exactly. then they assemble it at yes, the country. Yes, that's part assembly. Uh, that's a decent starting point. We don't recommend that as a long-term strategy because you have, uh, it's not the ideal scenario for the cost structure of the vehicle because you essentially are assembling the vehicle in the assembly plant, taking it apart, putting it in uh, all of this shipping material, uh, which isn't the most efficient way to ship a vehicle, uh, you're shipping that plus a lot of air uh, <laughs> into the destination country, and then you're paying a second set of labor to put it together again. So not the most efficient way, but it could be a way to start and test the waters. But really what we're, what we're proposing in the book is that you want to localize as much of that supply chain as possible. You're closer to the customer, you're able to better control quality, and you're able to better control your cost structure.
Some of the most interesting developments in the auto industry globally um, have happened because of startups. Uh, we were talking about Tesla before the show, right. um, but there are you know, dozens of other companies that are doing the same thing. Is there any, any will or interest in doing that in Africa, in, in starting an auto companies from scratch there? Mm -hmm. There are Actually, there are a handful of, um, of startup auto companies and uh, small-scale niche manufacturers uh, in South Africa, in Kenya, uh, um, and in other parts of North Africa, uh, what we talk more about in the book is really the opportunity to provide a solution for the growing population and the large workforce and to address the large market opportunity by bringing scale, by bringing manufacturing at scale uh, to the continent. Because you know, we see that as a, as a strong profitability opportunity uh, and a strong opportunity that all of the governments are looking for. Edward, let's talk a little bit about your background, sure. just so the audience recognizes. Yes. yes, You've opened plants in different places of the world. You work for different car yes. companies. Give us a thumbnail sketch of your background. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I love the auto industry. I've had the opportunity to work in the auto industry for over 25 years for three automakers, uh, GM, BMW, and Ford. Uh, at GM, I led their crossover vehicle business as the executive chief engineer uh, at Ford, I was the chief engineer of the full-size SUV business, uh, Expedition and Navigator, uh, a few years ago. And at BMW, I was the product manager for the 5 Series, 6 Series, and 7 Series models uh, here in the United States. Uh, I've also consulted to uh, automakers and, and suppliers uh, for several years at Alex Partners, uh, and I've worked on several um, significant merger and acquisition deals in the auto sector for OEMs, uh, supplier companies, as well as aftermarket companies. So you've got all this automotive background. Mm -hmm. What led you to say Africa, mm -hmm. that's the next frontier? Well, you know, through my experience in the industry, uh, I've, I've done a fair amount of work, quite a bit of work in China, uh, as well as India and, and Mexico and Brazil. And I've seen firsthand, uh, you know, I've, I've I helped the companies I worked with uh, find success uh, with the projects I worked on uh, in each of those countries. And I was able to see firsthand how those nations were transformed when you put so many people to work and when you see so many entrepreneurs succeeding by building one or many of the 30,000 parts that go into a vehicle. You know, you, you think about it, 70% of the value chain uh, in, a, in a vehicle goes to suppliers. Uh, seeing that, and um, my always having a passion for the continent, which dates back, you know, my entire life and the, and the time I worked in, in West Africa as a, as a, a grad student at University of Michigan. Um, I saw that as an opportunity to really put this all together and uh, really share that with uh, the business community and investment community. What's been the reaction? You know, the book has come out, uh, uh, it was announced at the beginning of this month, so it's, it's great to be here talking about it. Um, a lot of it is similar to yours, John, uh, Why Africa? But when I speak to people about uh, the opportunity, many people just aren't aware of, of the growth 
scenario uh, that is that is. I had no idea the population yeah. is expected to double exactly. in the next 20 years. Exactly. I had no idea. Yes, yeah, and many, many people don't realize that. Many people don't realize that they are the, um, the seedlings of the auto industry on the continent already that are not just seedlings but are succeeding. Uh, and many don't realize that, you know, this could be, you know, the next growth opportunity as China slows uh, and India continues on their trajectory. Um, many are, are who I talk to about the book are start, start to say, hmm, maybe I should consider the continent in a, in a different light. Maybe I should, you know, dig deeper into this. Mm-hmm. That's been the reaction. Mm-hmm. I love your analogy of it's kind of like being in China in the, yes. the late 80s or early yes. 90s. Yes. You know, and at that time, there were very few believers right. that China was going to take off That's like it true. did. So That's true. You, you may be onto something here that Africa could be the next mm-hmm. huge growth opportunity. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think it can be. Um, but in, in China, as in India, it didn't just happen. You know, there were, there were strategic decisions by companies to, uh, to get involved and to say, we're going to do this. We are going to be a leader in this market. We're going to understand the customer. We're going to localize the supply chain because we know that the best lean principles say, build where your customer is, build as close to, bring, build your parts structure as close to where you're assembling the vehicle. And um, they, they found success in that uh, all, over the, all over the world. So um, I hope to uh, encourage more to, uh, to consider that about the six countries that I highlight uh, on the African continent. Beyond a, a growing consumer base and a growing workforce there, what are some of the advantages of Africa in particular? Are there natural resource uh, you know, deposits and things like that that will be helpful to the industry? Or are there other um, advantages, location? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are, there, are, there are some natural resources, um, you, know, um, you know, aluminum, uh, cobalt in the case of uh, electric vehicles. But uh, beyond that, you know, the, the, main, the main point I'm focusing on is really the market opportunity, because many have really focused only on the natural resources on the continent from an extraction standpoint. Uh, the natural resources, I think, can play a part in the value chain, the local value chain. So not just extracting the natural resources, but processing them into aluminum, into uh, the other materials that are needed uh, that that go into those 30,000 parts inside the vehicle. Edward, uh, the auto industry looks like it's going to go through a transformative Mm -hmm. decade here. Uh, As we move to mobility services and autonomous cars, how might that affect your plans for Africa? Well, I think the mobility services will actually be a tremendous uh, support for this plan because when you look at um, the different markets, even as I said earlier, we're looking at each of the six countries serving a region, north, south, west, or east, you're still looking at um, a, a, a low income, uh, many low incomes on average, uh, uh, countries. Uh, however, mobility services are going to make vehicles more accessible to more people, despite your income level. But even if the vehicle is accessible to you, it still needs to be built somewhere. So, if you have the West African market, you know, which is you know, I mentioned Nigeria as a country, I mentioned Ghana as one of the countries. You know, Ghana has. 28 million people, but the entire West African market is about 300 million people, size of the United States. So if you can make the uh, vehicles accessible at all income levels by mobility services, you know, you have, you, you have 
a market that's ready uh, for those products. That's a great point. So even if you're a startup, mm -hmm. a high-tech startup, getting into all this mobility yes. services stuff, yes. Africa might be an ideal place to launch. It, it actually could. It, it actually could be a very strong place to launch. Uh, you saw mobility, uh, uh, excuse me, mobile pay services like uh, M-Pesa developed in Kenya. Uh, I have some you know, very good friends in the software business in Ghana who have been very successful by offering their services to both businesses and the consumer um, and recognizing how they need to be somewhat different uh, in, the, in the environments where the, uh, the equipment is different there. So again, it comes back to really focusing on the, on the customer. You mentioned cell phones earlier and, and not having to deal with landlines. I mean, that's an advantage now that you, yes. you've bypassed some of the Absolutely. some of the infrastructural things that you know have have been in place you know in places like the United States for years. Yes. You can just skip right on past that, and then you don't have to deal with those legacy costs and yeah, all of that. Absolutely. And there's a wonderful startup culture there. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're right. In Kenya, in South Africa, in Nigeria, in Ghana, uh, very strong startup cultures there. But your point on on uh, leapfrogging was is a is, is well taken when I first uh, spent time in, on the African continent. I was a graduate student in back in, over, um, well, let's just say 25 or so years ago. And, um, you know, when I landed, uh, the, cell, the telephones were down. So uh, you come back five, 10 years later, everyone had a cell phone. So the opportunity, John, as you were mentioning, for mobility services, that could play out as well. When you look at the number of people who own vehicles, you know, in the United States, well, in the globally, the average is only about 100, 180 vehicles per thousand people globally. That's the global average. In the United States, it's 800 per thousand. So 800 vehicles per thousand people here, just about almost one to one. On the African continent, it's only 44 vehicles per 1,000 people. So potential for massive growth. Potential for massive growth. Potential for before you become a purchaser of a vehicle, you could become a user of a vehicle through the mobility services that you mentioned. And uh, in a way, uh, leapfrogging vehicle ownership to some mm -hmm. extent, and uh, then later becoming a vehicle owner or owner of multiple vehicles, as we obviously are here in the United States. And I feel like we've been largely thinking of past car throughout all this, but I feel like there's mm -hmm. got to be some <clears throat> commercial vehicles yes. uh, and maybe playing into the mobility play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That, one of the benefits, I mentioned the B-segment crossover. Uh, one, another reason why that could be the right product is the um, ability for that also to be a, a B-segment size commercial van. Uh, for businesses to use. And because the B segment is so popular, that is just a way to get scale. And the scale could be for serving the local market. It could, it's scale that could be used for exporting, exporting components for other users of that shared B segment platform as well. I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this conversation up. Okay. Edward Correct. Hightower, very interesting. You brought up something that nobody else has ever brought up before, so I commend you for it. Thank you. The book, again, is called Motoring Africa. I really think that there's, there's something going on here, and I want to thank you for being on the show, and Chris Pocker, especially want to thank you for joining me today. And as always, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Thank you for having me, John. <laughs>